It's time for the Car Doctor on AM 950 WROL. Got a car question? Call us at 617-770-3030. That's 617-770-3030. Now, here's the car doctor, John Paul, on AM 950 WROL, the spirit of Boston. And good Saturday morning, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Car Doctor Program on AM 950 WROL, the spirit of Boston. Remember, you can always listen to us worldwide on WROLradio.com or find our podcasts all over the place on iTunes, uh, Podomatic, uh, Stitcher, TuneIn. They're all over the place somewhere, and you can always find those. Uh, so, besides being a couple days after St. Patrick's Day, a couple days before the first day of spring, and apparently... I don't know, maybe a foot of snow coming over the weekend. Uh, it, things are just, things are crazy. And have you noticed that we saw some record low gas prices? And have you seen them start to go up? Here in Massachusetts, we saw almost double-digit increases. I think we were up about $0.09 cents in the past week in gas uh, as gas prices started to climb up. And we're starting to see those same kind of numbers. So why is it all happening? Well, with us on the phone is Greg Cazera. He is a expert in domestic energy, and maybe he can fill us in and tell us a little bit why all this is happening. Greg, good morning, and welcome to the Car Doctor Program. Hey, good morning, John. How are you this morning? I'm doing just fine, other than, you know, I, I had to pay another 12 cents a gallon for gas today. <laughs> well, I, I kind of look at it this way. A little over a year ago, we were paying, at least where I live, almost $4 a gallon. So I still feel like we got a pretty good deal going for us. We did, although it's it's interesting that, uh, what, in the past couple of months, you look at record sales of vehicles, and it's what's selling? Trucks, SUVs. Uh, I think uh, people people already forgot they were paying $4 a gallon for gas not that long ago. Oh, you're right. As a matter of fact, uh, I, li- I live down in West Virginia, so you couldn't keep a pickup truck on a lot. I mean, it was unbelievable. So what? So what's the reason behind this? Is it is it production? Is it is it as simple as when I was a kid and I had a lemonade stand and it was a supply and demand? You know, there's hot day and not a lot of lemonade, and I could sell it for you know twenty cents a cup instead of ten. What's what's the deal? Really, I, I think you've hit the nail on the head because what's happened is because of technology, horizontal drilling, hydraulic fracturing. We since two thousand seven. I mean, we've just uh, become the energy grill of the world. I mean, the United States, it's hard to believe because we, we always worried about OPEC and Russia and Iran supplying us with energy. And all of a sudden, we became that producer. Matter of fact, we've depending on what month you're talking about, we're either number one or number two in the world in oil production. That's, that's unheard of. And, of course, now what's happened, that was the OPEC and they can't get their all their folks around a table and make a decision on who's going to produce what and what oil prices are going to be because we kind of screwed them up with our production because they can't control us. We're, we're that maverick out there, and, and they're beside themselves with that. So you put our production onto the world market, and prices went on. And, and we can't blame anybody from the oil and gas industry. We did it to ourselves. Nobody else did it. The good news for consumers is just that. I mean, my gosh, I think I saw that deal in the USA Today where – 
the average consumer is saving seven hundred dollars a year, and that's that's real money because that's a piece that Uncle Sam doesn't get a chunk of. Yeah, it really it really is. It's like uh, for some people that that could be like you know better than their uh, better than their uh, raise they might get for this year. You know, so oh. yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So. Yeah, you look at that, though, and you wonder, you know, gas prices went down and things things are changing. Um, but it's also some of these low gas prices have had an effect on the rest of the economy and, and especially the stock market, not necessarily in a good way, right? Well, it's true because what's happened, because all oil prices went down so low, we were talking, uh, when we were at $4 gasoline, we're talking $100 a gallon oil now or barrel. Now we fell almost, I think we were down around $30. It, it's back, And that's why we're seeing this increase in gasoline, John. We're back up to around $40 a barrel. So we, we hit that low, and I saw I pay as low as $1.29 a gallon in Ohio one day. So we're kind of coming back up a little bit. So I think we're, we'll start to see some increases. I think that's what we're seeing now, and I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see that go up a little higher because what's happened is as we... As oil prices fell, a lot of U.S. companies all of a sudden couldn't produce anymore. So they stopped drilling. As a matter of fact, oil and gas rigs are down 75% of what they were. So think about that. We've, we've only got about 25% of the rigs running that we had. And there's a, but there's a lot of wells that are already drilled, ready to go, that just need hydraulically fracture. There's a lot of wells that uh, producers couldn't afford to produce at $30, so they shut the wells in. So when you take start taking production off of that, uh, world market, now we're starting to see that slight rise in gasoline prices. Now, what I believe is going to happen, because, you know, there's a lot of, matter of fact, the oil and gas industry has already lost uh, over 300,000 employees. We're starting to see these layoffs, because when you stop drilling and stop uh, doing hydraulic fracturing operations, people get laid off, things slow down. But what will happen is we start to see prices go up. Some of these producers are really hurting, because we're not talking about Exxon or BP, a lot of these companies have got less than 100 employees. They're not big oil and gas companies, but they need the revenue. And as as we start seeing 40 or $50 oil, they'll start to put production back on the market. What happens when they do that, John? Prices will go back down or they'll at least stabilize. Yeah. And how much is it, you know, you said that we're, you know, we're one of the largest oil producers as well as one of the largest oil consumers in the world. How much of it has to do with the OPEC nations deciding they weren't going to limit production, production, and they were just going to keep on pumping. Well, that's there. That has something to do with it. Now, what happened? Of course, you know, if they continued to produce, which is what that plan was, they were going to continue to produce at their level, and then we put our production on the market, driving it down. Well, what they did instead of cutting back, it was kind of like a game of chicken. There, they knew the price was going down. We knew it was going down, and. It was who was going to blink first? Because uh, the Saudis, even though they can produce oil real cheap, they have to. That's the only thing they've got for their economy. So they they were losing a lot of money because you know of low oil prices. Well, and think about it: if oil was a hundred dollars a barrel, now it's thirty or now forty. That's like a sixty percent pay decrease for the Saudis and, and other and Putin's <clears throat> hurting too right now because that's a big part of their economy. Fortunately for the United States. We've got so many other things going for us, so that's that's the big difference. But but clearly, they were trying. They, what they really wanted to do was drive our producers out of business, and then they could raise prices. Right. And well, 
we're smarter than that. I mean, what's really happened, oil and gas producers in the United States found ways to cut costs and be more efficient. So I think we kind of we kind of messed up with their plan. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It it seems that way. Although it's kind of it's kind of funny how you know you know I j- joked earlier that you know part of oil and gas prices are as simple as supply and demand, as simple as you know a kid's lemonade stand. But I saw something on Friday that. You know, all the investors and so forth look at rig count, and it showed that one of those, I guess, mid-sized producers, their rig count was up. Well, apparently their rig count was up by one rig, but that was enough to cause a little ripple in the market where all of a sudden uh, crude oil prices jumped over $40 a barrel. And then all of a sudden they said, oh, it's only one rig, and they went back down again. <laughs> well, and that's, that's you know, it, it, we're, we're seeing an area of volatility right now, and that's, and it doesn't take much. A little bit mm. of good news goes goes uh, an awful long way these days. Yeah, it certainly does. So we have, uh, you know, in the in the future we have summertime blend of gasoline. So we we add more more oxygenates to the gasoline, so it doesn't evaporate and pollute the air as much. So that seems to add a cost to gasoline. Uh, we a lot of the a lot of the plants do this regular maintenance where they flush out the winter gas and put in summer fuel, and that causes a price increase. How much of an issue is the EPA with all of these kind of boutique fuels that you know the Northeast has its gas, Arizona has its gas, Pennsylvania has its gas? How many of these blends cause an issue with uh, volatile pricing? Clearly, these, these short-term prices are a lot have to do with, with those different blends. And I was talking to some folks uh, stationed in California, and I didn't realize that their blends, my gosh, their gas is not falling. I mean, it's down from where it was, but nowhere near what, what you're mm. seeing in Boston or what we're seeing here down in Ohio and, and West Virginia, because their blends are so specialized that they, uh, you know, it doesn't impact them as they haven't been able to cut their price as much as we've seen in other areas. But, you know, something else that I think is important for your listeners to know, because what, uh, when I was listening to the presidential ba- debates, and the Republicans are pretty well, their their energy policies are very, very similar. But when I was listening to Bernie and Hillary talk, scared the dickens out of me, because they're talking about banning fracking or at least regulating it to the point where people won't be able to do it. And what the average American doesn't probably doesn't know or doesn't realize is that Every well we drill in the United States, with the exception of a few offshore wells, requires hydraulic fracturing. So if they would really get elected and actually do that, our oil and gas industry would cease to exist. If you ban fracking, we're done as an, as an industry. It goes away. And we become we go back 10 years and let OPEC sit around the table and make those decisions on how much uh, – world they want to produce mm. and where they want price to be. And that scares me because all of a sudden what, what what those two told the American people in so many words is, we want your gasoline back up to $4.50 or more a gallon. And I don't, I'm not ready to go there. I'm, I, I, even though I'm in the industry, I kind of like $2 gasoline. I mean, I can travel with it and uh, we'd like to see it a little higher, but I don't want to go to the days where OPEC calls the shots and, you know, we, we help our friends in Russia and Iran by buying oil from them. We don't need their oil now. And the best thing for our country is to be energy independent. 
Yeah, I suppose from your from your side of the world, what you do as a as an expert and a public speaker, you probably get called on to be a public speaker a lot more when gasoline's four dollars a gallon than when it's two dollars a gallon. Well, actually, what's interesting is it it, it it works both ways because when it's high, everybody wants to know why. And actually, I did a lot of speaking. People were trying to figure out why sit down. And, and, mm. and the, really, the big question last even last fall was. Our gasoline prices are down to two dollars and twenty-five cents a gallon. Why is that, Greg? Mm. And because most Americans don't don't realize how important the oil and gas industry is in this country to their low gasoline prices. Most people weren't make, making that connection because you know they just knew they were down, they were happy with it. But you know, when I say thank a fracker, I mean that because <laughs> without horizontal drilling and hydraulic fracturing. We go back to the days of OPEC being in charge. And and the thing is, what's really, uh, you know, you hear a lot of this stuff about fracking. And the bottom line is, we've actually improved the environment globally, right? Uh, We've, thanks to increased use of natural gas in this country, John, CO2 levels are down 10% Mm. in the United States. Now, globally, because of the garbage that people in China and India and Pakistan and other places, they're still pouring garbage into the atmosphere every day, and globally, CO2 is up about 15%. So, really, if we wanted to do something about CO2, what we ought to be doing is building more pipelines and shipping more of our natural gas to mm. developing countries and to China, to India. I mean, in, in uh, New Delhi, there was a piece on NPR a few weeks ago where the 50% of the school-aged children have got permanent lung damage because their air is so bad over there. Now, if those, I mean, and, you know, they're going to eventually die from that type of thing. Now, think about it. If those kids were starving, you would be, it'd be all over the news. You'd be getting stuff in the mail, help starving children. Well, we've got children that are being poisoned by their atmosphere, and we can actually fix that by sending more of our natural gas over there. And we got, I mean, literally, we've got natural gas prices down below 2 bucks. so people that use that for heating. Mm. are going to find their heating bills down, too. So we've really helped the American consumer. I was at Disney World a few weeks ago. And Florida has got a record. They had a record tourism season in 2015. Matter of fact, my son flew his entire family from Baltimore down there. Six people, round trip, total, 200 bucks. Well, I, I, unbelievable. I, I, I'm going to Florida in uh, in a couple of months. I didn't get that kind of flight. I, I got to use the same travel agent he uses. Jeez. <laughs> Well, I guess I guess Frontier was was having a special, but here was the big deal: because he could fly there for two hundred dollars for the whole family, he spent two days at Disney. That's a yep. hundred bucks a head. Yep. He put by the time you figure Disney tickets and hotels and and rental cars and meals, he put over two grand into Florida's economy because of low fuel prices. And people are driving right now, even from from our friends, we got tons of folks that are driving to to Florida for spring break. Oh, Why? sure, yeah. They can. It's cheap. Yeah. And yeah. I don't blame them. As a matter of fact, uh, come next uh, Saturday morning, week from today, I'm going to be in the air heading to Florida myself with my wife. There, <laughs> there you go. Yeah, so, no, so it, it really, it really is. Yeah, it, gasoline prices really do affect the economy in a lot of ways. So I guess the, the question, you know, the question that needs to be asked um you know, is predicting the future. Where where do you think, you know, it, you know, kind of typically what we see is prices go down when the winter fuel sell-off happens and then they start to climb back up as the blends get put in and then, and then uh, you know, maintenance happens and then summer, summer 
drive season tends to cause the prices to go up. Where do you think prices will be for gasoline in 4th of July or so? I'd say 4th of July, if it was, and again, this is Greg's opinion for what it's worth, but I'm guessing we're probably going to be in the two to two and a quarter range. I really don't see, you know, I've seen some industry predictions where they're talking $60 oil by the end of the year, and maybe that'll happen. But for the short term, yeah, we're going to see these blends. We're going to see these short term spikes. But, you know, I wouldn't expect anything much over two bucks. And, and of course, the other thing that's happening, I don't know what's happened in Massachusetts, but we're already seeing states that have looked at this and said, wow, what an opportunity. Let's raise the tax. So, oh, yeah. you know, we're, we're going to see those kind of things. But I think the, but like I said, the thing that balances that out, if we start to do see oil prices start to creep up towards $50, is, uh, mark my words, if oil gets to 50 bucks, producers are going to start to flow more oil out of wells they've been fracked. They're going to put, uh, they're going to actually go out to these wells that have already, I mean, this country, again, most people don't know it. Literally, we have thousands of wells already drilled, and all we've got to do is go out and hydraulically fracture them, which is a few-day process. It doesn't take, I mean, this is, this is pretty easy to do in a matter of a few weeks. We could begin flowing massive amounts of oil. So that as oil gets to fifty bucks, there's gonna be producers are gonna say, Wow, now's our time. Let's get this done and let's get this oil back in the pipeline. And when that does does happen, that's gonna balance that out. So I don't see oil prices jumping up, even with war in the Middle East. Uh, I would be surprised if they would get over two on two on two and a quarter again. Yeah, I, I think we really agree on that. I you know, people ask me about oil price all the time and I keep saying, Yeah, summertime here in New England, you know, we're probably gonna be in the you know, 225 to 250 range. I, I kind of see that as probably a pretty comfortable number. And you're absolutely right. Uh, you know, states adding gas tax, a lot of states are, are looking at that because of the crumbling infrastructure. Every time I drive down Route 95 heading between uh, Boston and Providence, Rhode Island, and I drive under a bridge that's being held up with railroad ties, uh, I think, you know, we got we got to start to think about fixing some of these. Well, and, and really, and, and, you know, they were looking at it even where I live to raise the gasoline tax three cents a gallon. Well, really, if, if that's going to help my roads with gasoline at $1.89 a gallon, three cents a gallon, that's still a bargain. It yep. really is. If, yep. if I can fix, see the roads fixed, put another three cents, five cents on there, that's fine, as long as they use it for that purpose. Yep. But the bigger picture moving forward, unless Hillary and Bernie understand what they're talking about. And really, I mean, if one of those folks gets elected and if they're serious about banning fracking, mark my words, this time next year we'll be on the air talking about how come gasoline's $4 a gallon? That's serious. I mean, that's the stuff that people, if you're going to run for president, you need to understand what drives our energy costs in this country. And you can't replace... Oil and natural gas with windmills and solar panels mm. can't be done. It won't happen. It's not going to be that bridge fuel. Oil and gas and fossil fuels are going to be a bridge fuel to something, but probably not the renewables that we think they are. Because you can't literally, you can't build enough windmills and solar panels to replace those fuel fossil fuels. And I'll give you an example where I live, John, right on my street. I mean, I watched them practice well. Mm-hmm. And I know what the well produces. It's, it's a really big well. And that one well on my street, that the grass is already there, the deer eat there, my dog plays with her golden retriever buddy down there. I mean, so, you know, it's, 
it kind of fits into our neighborhood. It's mm-hmm. just there. That one well produces more energy than 900 acres of solar panels. And the difference is those solar panels only work when the sun's out. That well will produce that energy 24 seven, 365 days a year. And that's one well on maybe half an acre. Mm. So that's the, that's the, that people trying to wrap their arms around, you know, solar is good, wind's good. There's, there's places that we need it and we can certainly need it in our energy mix. But when people start thinking about replacing, you know, fossil fuels, which is probably 80% of our energy with the, the fuels that are about 1%, you just can't build enough of those things. And, the, and, and up here, you know, where I live, I get about 60 sunny days a year. Yeah. <laughs> and the wind doesn't always blow. So that's, there, there's things we need to do. But when people start making those kind of decisions that, yeah, we're going to pl- replace coal, we're going to place, replace oil with with windmills and solar panels, no. Yeah, it, no. It, I it, mean, it, technically, it, it can't happen. Yeah. No, those things those things are like a lot of things in life. They're a good supplement to what you already have. And, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, somebody who advertises somewhere and they say, where should I put all my money? Should I put it in newspaper advertising? Should I put it in radio? No, you have to use them all together because they all supplement each other. And wind and solar is a nice supplement to to uh you know fossil fuel energy or whatever whatever it's going to be but one doesn't replace the other it just doesn't happen so right and and uh, you know i was i was uh looking at a group of protesters when the governor of virginia was announcing his energy policy and and you know they were chanting no uh f word pipeline unless it carries sunshine <laughs> yeah guys you you really yeah. understand that what pipelines do, and matter of fact, they're in the process, hopefully, of building some that'll start to carry more of this natural gas from places like Pennsylvania and yeah. Ohio up into New England. Mm. And if you can get that natural gas up there, because there's still a lot of people on on uh, fuel oil, I think you'll start to see even those folks, uh, their heating bills will start to get on. Because when you compare natural gas to fuel oil, it's, it's certainly a more economic fuel. I know I've had both, and I'll take natural gas any day of the week. Matter yeah. of fact, it's a lot easier on my, uh, I can't tell you how many times I've uh, spent uh, Saturday morning working on my uh, fuel oil furnace. I've never had to do it that with a natural gas furnace. So it yeah. makes, it's a, it's a nice uh, switch. But long story short, I think uh, moving forward, I see a, a pretty stable oil situation, yeah. even if something really bad happens yeah. in the Middle East. But, uh, and, and our own production will keep that in check. Yeah, a bunch as of years. As long as we can do that. Yeah, a bunch of years ago, there was, uh, and maybe 10, you know, there was all this talk about peak oil. We were going to run out of oil by, you know, pick whatever the number was. And, uh, uh, you know, somebody smarter than me uh, threw a line out there once, and I and I steal it wherever I can. I said, there's no better way to be called a false prophet than put a date on something. And, uh, and you know, it was like, you know, we're going to run out of, we're going to run out of oil by the year 2020 or something. And it. You know, it doesn't, you know, peak oil seems like, you know, that was that was a hot expression 10 years ago that just went away because of, like you said, things like fracking and horizontal drilling and other more efficient ways to get the oil out of the ground that we have. Oh, absolutely. We continue to find better ways to explore for it. But really, that that one process, horizontal drilling and hydraulic fracturing, has really been a game changer. And. You know, what we've discovered is that how much oil we and natural gas we really have. And the, the Northeast, uh, and that's stretching from New York down through Ohio, Pennsylvania, to West Virginia, Virginia, 
that area is now, it's the, the gas field is the largest natural gas field in the entire planet is right here in the northeast of the United States. Unbelievable. Mm. I mean, we didn't even know it was, we knew the, the potential was there, but we didn't have a way to unlock it 10 years ago. Now we do, and that's what I love about the United States. We're so creative. Just put something, and, and really, I think we could do the same thing environmentally. Instead of the government trying to regulate that, if you had some great leadership and could actually uh, influence people and, you know, and say, hey, here's where we need to go and here's why, believe it or not, we're creative enough to do that. Yeah, I mean, so, we see that all the time. So the, the answer is it's there. We're not going to be, we're not going to be like, uh, uh, we're not going to be like Jed out uh, varmint hunting and hitting an oil well in his backyard. But, uh, and, and, <laughs> well, and my, and my, right. and my, my 21-year-old producer looked at me like, who's Jed? What's that? <laughs> it's the Beverly Hillbillies, by the way. Uh, <laughs> yes, yes uh, I, yeah. I, I, I forget that sometimes. Yeah, yeah. When I say that, it's like, who are those things, Grandpa? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. But uh, it, 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 we do. We're, we're such a creative nation. And, and you know, it, it's not, you know, the other thing is that I think it, a lot of people don't understand is we talk about oil and we talk about Exxon and Shell and BP. And, you know, who the real drivers of this this shale revolution is that's creating all this abundant oil we have in our country. It wasn't those guys. It's always the small producers. Yep. Usually those companies that are smaller than 100 employees, those companies that are willing to take a risk and try something new and they put it on the line every day. And that's not just in the energy industry, but in all these other industries. It's the small producers, that entrepreneur that tries something. And once they've tried it and figured it out, then the big boys, the Shells and the BPs mm. and the Exxons get involved. But really, our production, our creativity is driven by the small producers. And those are the folks that sometimes when, when you, we see this, this precipitous fall in oil prices, it, it really, those are the folks that get hurt. Because I, I got a lot of friends in West Virginia, Kentucky. They got like three people in their company. And the one guy told me, he says, yeah, he says, my wife quit. And that was yeah. a third of my workforce. <laughs> That's a good thing you didn't fire. That would have really been bad. But, yeah, sure. but, you know, we, we do operate. I mean, small companies drive our economic engine in energy and so many other fields. And that entrepreneurial spirit is a big part of America, too. And that's what makes, I think, that's what separates us, in my opinion, from the rest of the world. Well, Greg, uh, you know we'll we'll keep a track we'll keep a track on oil prices. We'll see where they're going, and uh, we'll you know maybe we'll talk again in a year and see see if see if you and I had any uh, predictions that that uh, were close. If people want to find out more information about you, where do they go? Sure, they can go to my website. It's Greg Kazera, K O Z E R A dot com. I've got a book on leadership. Also got a book on just the fracking, man, the truth about fracking and oil prices, and and it's a real short. It's a short read, but it's 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 written so that Americans can understand. It's written by an engineer, but not like an engineer. Well, yeah, because so that that can that can, make, that can make a difference. Because en en engineers engineers think in a little different way sometimes. But yeah, well, my editor was from New York City, and John he was brutal. He wouldn't let me put any technical terms in the book. Well. So everything <laughs> everything is written so that uh, so, a high school student can get it. So that it. so that your mom could read it and she'd understand it. She, she really can, yeah. and she and she has read it. Uh, uh, she's uh, at ninety; she's an avid reader. Okay, Greg, thanks a lot. The website Greg Kozera K O Z E R A dot com. Check it all out. Thanks for taking some time out of your Saturday morning to join us up here in Boston. Hey, you're welcome. Make it a, make it a great day. You too. Take care. Bye bye. Thanks, sir.
Why don't we take a quick break? When we come back, we're going to do a little, well, you know, Irish-based trivia, Irish automotive-based trivia. And, uh, of course, uh, we have a car review coming up about the uh, Subaru Forester. And I want to talk to you about your car, your car questions, your car comments, anything that's on your mind about the automobile industry, give us a call at 617-770-3030. My name is John Paul. This is a Car Doctor program. You're listening on AM 950 WROL, the spirit of Boston. We'll be right back. On the road again. Just can't wait to get on the road again. Life I love is making music with my friends. Everywhere you go. Anywhere you go, W-R-O-L, the spirit of Boston, goes with you. That's because we are no longer trapped inside a radio. We are now everywhere you are, and you carry us around in your pocket. On iTunes, on iHeart, on your own app, on our website, on ChristianRadio.com, on your iPad, iPhone, and Android. We're always with you because we're inside your pocket. Whatever you do, don't lose us. 9.50 a.m., W-R-O-L, the spirit of Boston. Have you ever wondered what it would have been like to travel the dynamic missionary journeys of the Apostle Paul? To see for yourself the sites of the early Christian church. This is Alistair Begg inviting you to join me this fall on the footsteps of the Apostles' Mediterranean cruise. Together we'll encounter the sites of the early church like never before with wonderful stops in Rome, Naples, Jerusalem, Athens and more. And we'll experience the magnificent Sistine Chapel, the historic Western Wall in Jerusalem, the beautiful Greek island of Santorini and much more. So join me as we examine the spiritual, social and cultural settings of the early church and all the while sailing in luxurious accommodations over the pristine waters of the Mediterranean. Log on to our website at wezeradio.com or at wrolradio.com and click on the Footsteps of Apostles Cruise Banner. Attention pastors, it's that time of year for our third annual Pastors Masters Golf Tournament coming on May 9th and we want to invite you. We here at Salem Media Group Boston would like to encourage you and thank you for the hard work that you put in every day in the front line of your ministry. The Pastor's Masters is an opportunity for us to get to know you and for you to unwind, maybe do a little bragging and fellowship with other pastors and ministry leaders from across the Boston region. Even if you're not any good at golf, it's all right. Just come and enjoy a good time on the greens. Breakfast and lunch are provided, so come out and join us for the food, fun, and fellowship at the Harmon Golf and Fitness Club in Rockland, Mass. Register today by visiting wezeradio.com or wrolradio.com and click on the golf banner. What are you waiting for? Get ready to tee off. Wherever Joan Hunter goes, miracles happen. Tabernacle of Hope Church in Carver invites you to experience three days with Joan Hunter Ministries as she brings hope, healing, and deliverance to Massachusetts. She's been featured on the Sid Roth and Marilyn Hickey programs. Yes, on April 8th, 9th, and 10th, author and evangelist Joan Hunter will minister at Hampton Inns and Suites in Plymouth. Get more details by calling Tabernacle of Hope Church at 508-866-8523 or visit tabernacleofhope.org. AM 950 WROL Boston, the spirit of Boston. A service of Salem Media Group. Now, let's get back to the car doctor. 
and welcome back to the Car Doctor program on AM 950 WROL, the spirit of Boston, or if you're listening on WROLradio.com. And I understand we have a new WROL radio app that you can check out if you go to any of the app stores. There's a new app that is available. Just a free app, just available. Okay, Irish trivia. We always do something near St. Patrick's Day for years. And this one, and we always use sort of the same question, but this one's going to be a little tougher. There, and this is this comes from Craig Fitzgerald of BestRide.com. Craig Fitzgerald in his Best Ride blog, where he features me once in a while. Come on, Craig, I send you something every week. But he f- features me, I think I did this week. But anyway, <laughs> uh, but he did, he did a, uh, he, he did a, uh, column, it's actually a pretty long column too, about uh, four cars built in Ireland. And the, the for trivia, your task is come up with two. Two out of four cars built in Ireland. And we always use one. There's always one that we always use and everybody I think knows what that one is. But what are, of the four cars that were built in Ireland, What were two of them? See if you know the answer to that. Give us a call at 617-770-3030. So, of the four cars that were built in Ireland, what were two of them? And this is according to to, uh, Craig Fitzgerald. Craig's been here before. He's actually even filled in for me once or twice. But um, what does he say here? Ireland has produced a lot of amazing things over its history, arguably some of the world's greatest writers, the greatest stout, the greatest crystal, cars. You went, hmm, not so much. For St. Patrick's Day, Best Ride presents a handful of cars that were produced in Ireland. And uh, actually hundreds of thousands of cars were built in Ireland, but all except four were subsidies of large American companies, or they were simply knockdown chassis built someplace else. So if you know the answer, and this is, again, based on Craig's thoughts, so if you know the answer, give us a call, and we will send you, we will send you something. Uh, the other thing I want to mention is I, I'm testing out something called the Magic Mount device. And what it is, it's a little, it, it's, it's built by a company called, and I can't even think of pronouncing this name, S-C-O-S-C-H-E. Scotia? But anyway. And it's called the Magic Mount. It's a magnetic uh, mount, and it fits in the vent of your car. So you stick it in the vent, and, you, and you, it holds your cell phone. And that way... If you're driving and you opt to take a phone call, you can just, the phone's right in front of you, hit the answer button, put it on speakerphone, and you can keep both hands on the wheel. And it works pretty well. I've stuck it to the vent. I've driven over some of the worst roads on the South Shore, it seems like, and it hasn't fallen off yet. Um, It it works. It seems to work really well. I I really kind of like it. It's um, about 25 bucks. Uh, you can buy them, and I think I saw them. Uh, besides Amazon, I think I saw them in Target and Best Buy and places like that. But it's uh, it's a pretty neat little device, and it's S C O S C H E. It's called the Magic Mount Magnetic Vent Mount for mobile devices. They make they also make suction cup mounts and beanbag mounts, and but I like this one because it's only tiny. It's a tiny little thing. It sits it sits in the vent. 
It holds the phone. You can kind of position it where you want to see it so you can ignore it. You can also, if you're using your phone, if you have a smartphone and you use it for navigation or guidance, it works pretty well, but it's not up in your face and it's not taking up a big chunk of the dash. It seems to work really, really well. And I get some stuff in the mail. And so I can tell you, some of it I just go, oh, that's nice. Some of it ends up being gifts on the radio show, trivia prizes on the radio show. This one's actually one that uh, I'm keeping this one. <laughs> it's not going. I'm keeping this. I like this one. Uh, our phone number is 617-770-3030. 617-770-3030. Let's talk to Robert. Robert, yeah. is that you? Come on. How are you? Good. How are you? What's up? Uh, I have a uh, question about uh, the law regarding seatbelts in cars. All right. Didn't have them. You know, Pre, you know, pre-seatbelt law. Okay. Are they mandatory to be put in? Or? No. No, if they, if, they were, if they were in there when the car was new, mm -hmm. they have to be in there. But if you're driving a, you know, 1928 Porter, um, you're not, you're not, it didn't have seatbelts and you don't have to put them in. Can you put them in if you want to? Yeah, you can. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Sure. But is it, are they required? You know, if you have a 19... 65, maybe? Yeah. No, you know, if, if, if they were there. So, like, my, you know, back when I had my old, you know, 65 Corvair convertible, it had seatbelt. It didn't have, back up, it had seatbelts in it. The person who actually put the floor in it took the seatbelts out, and they were in a box in the back seat, and we put them back in. So, um, you know, if I went to get an inspection sticker and someone looked, would they probably think it had seatbelts or didn't have seatbelts? Who knows? But I just wanted to put them back in. Yeah. Um, it, it was around uh, 65 or yeah, 60. Yeah, 65 had seatbelts, yeah. 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 Now, they, did they have lap and shoulder belts? No, they were just no. lap belts. But I know a guy who, has, who also had, uh, uh, actually, uh, Paul Zangari, who also, him and his brother do a radio show in Rhode Island. Yeah. Uh, you know, Paul has a 62 Corvair, I think, or 61 Corvair, and he actually put uh, shoulder belts in from a later model car because he just knows the importance of having, you know, seatbelts in a car. So, yeah. yeah, so if they if it was equipped with seatbelts when it was manufactured, in theory, when you go to get an inspection sticker, they're supposed to look for them. Yeah, because I had a 62 Galaxy uh, 500, mm -hmm. and it had a dealer installed, just a lap belt, yep. you know, on the front seats. Uh but I don't know if that would be, you know, gray area or what. Yeah, I, you know, really, you know, if, I, you know, I got to tell you, the first time I think I went to go get an inspection sticker with my Corvair, I I went in and, and it was back when you actually had to put the car, you know, you know, put the thing in the tailpipe and yeah. test it. And the guy came over and said, can you open the hood? And I, knowing the engine was in the back, I kind of <laughs> wondered why he wanted to do that. And I said, well, sure. And he opened the hood and said, Where'd the engine go? And I said, it's in the back. So, yeah. so you know, would that same guy know if the car had seatbelts or not? Probably not. Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Doctor. Okay. You. Yeah, have a good day. All right, take care, Robert. Bye-bye. 617-770-3030, 617-770-3030. Speaking of old car stuff, there is a, a, a pretty good uh, group. It's called Mac, M-A-A-C. And they are people that, uh, in fact, their next meeting is coming up uh, on April 7th at Bass Pro Shops at 7 o'clock. And it's a general meeting, but it's they, they are the ones who support the old car industry around here. And they sent out something called the Beacon Hill Flash. And it says a couple of bills you should take a look at 
Um, and again, I'm about as political as nobody, actually. But a couple bills you should take a look at. Um, one is that it would allow a restored license plate acceptable for registration on an antique vehicle. Right now, when you bring a license plate in, if you have a, we'll take Robert's 62 Galaxy, and you want to put a 1962 plate in it, it has to be an original 62 plate that no one has tinkered with. It has to look good, has to be in nice shape, and you have to bring it to the registry, and the registry says, oh, that's okay, or it isn't. Um, this will allow a restored plate. In Rhode Island, they passed a law a couple of years ago that said you can have a reproduction plate, so a plate that looks like the original plate, only it's brand new, but it will have the modern reflectivity to it. So you can have a 1918 plate if you want, but it's going it, it's it's made up so it's brand new. And Massachusetts is saying they'll they'll take a restored plate as being acceptable. And that's bill number uh, 1830. There's another bill, street rods and custom vehicles, and it supports a change to the current requirements for registering street rods. Um, th that whole issue is just so complicated. There's also a single plate bill, and this supports a change to the current requirement from two plates to one plate for registration. It's kind of funny. That's a law that I remember when we, I don't know, 40-some-odd years ago, when we went from two license plates to one license plate, the reason was there was a concern that, People would put take two plates and put one on each car. And then they said, no, no, so that's why we're coming out with one. Then it had to do with money. Now they're putting two plates back on cars. And I swear it has to do with um, both tolling, so electronic tolls, so they can catch your plate, and also radar if they want to. Because photo radar and camera radar, although it's legal in Massachusetts to have it, uh, we, we don't use it because the police aren't really in favor of it either. So, and the last one is called the Clean Plate Bill, and that's uh, and that what that is. It's a bill that supports a rolling ten-year replacement for all issued license plates. So every ten years, you'll get a new license plate. And the old car clubs don't want to do that because they think old car people want to keep their old license plates if they're in good condition. The license plate that's been on my car has been on my car for. 20-some-odd years, probably. Am I in love with it? No, it's just been there, and I, I don't really care. But there are people that like their license plates and they want to keep them. And the reason they want to replace the license plates every 10 years, does it have to do with visibility of the license plate? Not really. It more has to do with that's how they find out who registered their cars. Because if you're driving down the street and the current license plate is red, white, and blue, the, the Spirit of Massachusetts license plates, and they decide to change that to something else. Well, if they're driving down the road and they see that you don't have that license plate, you have the old red, white, and blue license plate on your car, they know that you didn't register your car this year. So it's actually, it's actually an enforcement issue, and the state of Rhode Island is doing that now. They're actually replacing all their license plates just for that reason, because that's one way to be able to see if your car's registered or not. Hmm... One way. I never thought of it that way. It kind of sounds kind of expensive to me, but let's see. On the phone with us is Tony. Tony thinks he has an answer to trivia. Let's find out. Tony. Yes, hello, John Paul. How are you, sir? Good. I, I think it's the uh, Shamrock and the T.M. Costin. Wow. How'd you know? Looked it up. Well, that, that, that is right. Most people automatically say the DeLorean. Which they actually made in Ireland. 
But you're right. The, uh, there, there was four cars that were actually produced in Ireland. The DeLorean was one. The Shamrock was, uh, it was, it was billed as the Irish Thunderbird when it was produced in 1959. And it uh, featured a uh, gigantic American-style bodywork. Trouble was, all that, uh, that was the only thing gigantic about it. It, it ran on a, uh, a small wheelbase. Uh, it was a fiberglass body. It hung over the wheels. It looked like if you drove it really fast, it would tip over. Uh, it it said, according to according to Craig's article here, it says the fiberglass body had fins and spears and a convertible top. Promotional literature suggested that five people could fit inside of it. And he says here, they better be the size of the guy in the Lucky Charms box because uh, it had a little tiny interior. So. And the other one, the other one was kind of an interesting one. That Costin was a was a car that uh, later became uh, the design of the Panos Roadster, which uh, was around for a bunch of years. And the Costin was an attempt to build an Irish version of the Caterham Super Seven, which was a, a pretty hot sports car in its day. So, Tony, you're absolutely right. We'll put you on hold, and we'll send you out a nice little prize. Okay. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Tony. Bye. 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 Now. So. Kelly will take care of Tony, and I will talk about the car that got me here today. And that's the newest Forester by Subaru, now in its fourth generation. It comes in five trim levels, the 2.5i, the 2.5i Premium, the 2.5i Limited, the 2.5i Touring, the 2.0-liter XT Premium, and the 2.0-liter XT Touring, which I think is more than five, but I'm calling it five. The engines are a 2.5-liter four-cylinder engine and a more powerful but yet smaller 2-liter turbocharged engine. The standard engine develops 170 horsepower, where the other engine develops 250. Transmissions are a six-speed manual or a continually variable automatic CVT. Although bigger than previous models, the Subaru is still a cross between a good handling passenger car while keeping the utility that comes with a small SUV. Our road test was in the 2.5-liter premium edition, including this model was 10-way power driver seat, rear view camera, 7-inch infotainment screen, ABS brakes, a full complement of airbags, including a driver's side knee airbag. Optional on our test model was the all-weather package that included heated front seats, wipers, and side mirrors, as well as the eyesight safety system. The system uses a camera for pre-collision warning, lane departure, and advanced cruise control. Uh, one other safety system on our car was a, the steering responsive fog lights. So as you're turning the wheel, they'll turn a little bit, which is kind of interesting. One item that was missing on our car was blind spot monitoring. All this technology and all these cameras, it didn't have blind spot monitoring, which is kind of odd. Another thing that I read, which people didn't seem to like about the car, um, and I actually do in a weird way, is a lot of cars today, as soon as you put them in gear or you start to move, all the doors lock. This Subaru doesn't do that. And people said, I hate that because my kids can jump out of the back seat. I don't know how hard it is to hit the door lock button, but um, but that was one of one of the kind of funny things that people critiqued about the car. I, I don't like a car that locks all the doors as soon as you start to move. I just, I want to do that myself. On the road, this latest Forester is reasonably quiet, rode well over our less than perfect roads, and the steering and handling gave a pretty confident feel at all speeds. Even on some of the really windy days with the tall, upright design, it was pretty stable. 
the overall performance of the 175 horsepower engine is certainly adequate and will move the Forester briskly, but will never be confused with a more powerful six-cylinder engine-powered vehicle. When pushed hard, the 2.5-liter engine will get a bit noisy but quieter than the previous models I remember. In fact, in the Globe today, uh, someone wrote in and complained about the engine noise of a 2010 Subaru and said, my 2005 Mercury Sable is quieter than my Subaru. Well, the 2005 Sable was actually a pretty quiet car. That was a that was um, you know was it was it a Lincoln? No, but it was a, it had a lot of insulation. It had a lot going for it, and it was pretty quiet. This one, I think, if someone drove it and compared it to that other one, would say, you know, yeah, it is quieter, and I, and I certainly thought it was. Uh, fuel economy is uh, pretty good. I've been averaging just about 30 miles per gallon with it. Now, most of it's been on the highway. EPA says 24 city, 32 highway. I've been doing just about 30 with it. Forrester also has an amazing amount of ground clearance while being very easy to get in and out of. There's almost nine inches of ground clearance, which is better than some true SUVs. So, And it has pretty good departure angles and uh, approach angles. So you could actually go off-roading with this, uh, certainly limited by how much performance there is from the engine and the all-wheel drive system. But I think you could do some pretty uh, moderate off-roading without any problem. In fact, I saw one at work one day that was covered with mud, and uh, I, I talked to the guy who owns it, and he said, yeah, he said, I went out off-roading with the Jeeps, and I did pretty well. The cabin of the Forester is pretty roomy. The large windows and huge sunroof give this vehicle a very airy feel. The front seats are generally comfortable, although the late, lower seat cushion is a bit short. Um... My wife didn't like the seats at all. I, I thought they were okay. The seat cushions, I thought, again, were short. And I think, you know, taller people may find a little bit of a problem. I found that after a couple hours of driving the seats, at least, got a little bit uncomfortable. The seats were fabric and were heated, which is a nice combination of cold morning. I kind of like that. Visibility is outstanding. The driver's position and the large windows give a commanding view of the road. The large front and rear doors allow for easy entry and exit. There are plenty of little storage bins, 12-volt and USB ports for plugging in all your electric accessories. Uh, fair size glove compartment, decent cup holders. The controls for the audio system and ventilation system are a bit simpler to use than some models. Yeah, there's knobs and buttons, which I like knobs and buttons. I don't care what anybody says. Um, also, they sort of redesigned the uh, navigation screen a little bit. People had a lot of problems with it. I find it a little too touchy still. Uh, I, sometimes I go to turn on, you know, turn the radio up or down, using the uh, knob next to the navigation screen, and it, and it pops back to the home screen or goes back to something else. It's almost too touchy, but it is simpler than most, and it does have redundant controls on the steering wheel, which make it a little bit easier. Uh, so um, it had voice command systems, too. Not for me. I gave it a shot. I gave it a shot a bunch of times. There's probably a learning curve for it and me, but... Uh, just, it doesn't work for me, at least. The rear seating area can accommodate at least two adults and three in a pinch. Uh, the rear cargo area is actually quite big at 34 cubic feet with the seats up, 74 cubic feet with the rear seats folded. The rear seats don't fold completely flat, um, or at least it didn't seem to. Uh, but it should be fine for, you know, unless you're going to sleep back there, it should be fine. So, um, those buyers who, uh, Opt for the uh, optional sunroof actually lose a little bit of storage space because it does intrude inside a little bit. But if you if you need to, you know, put a tall, good sized box in, 
uh, it'll, it'll do pretty well here. The Forester should have enough room for uh, a weekend's worth of sporting events or uh, trips to home improvement stores or whatever. The bottom line is the Subaru Forester with its roomy interior, supple ride, uh, good fuel economy, and go almost anywhere attitude should satisfy most buyers' demands. It's easy to describe the Forester as really well-rounded. But with some flaws. But packaged together, it's a pretty capable vehicle. Is it the best off-road vehicle? No. Is it the best on-road vehicle? No. Is it the best fuel economy? No. But when you package them all together, it actually it actually works out pretty well. Um, the facts, Seach 5 uses regular fuel, uh, 24 miles per gallon in the city, 32 miles per gallon on the highway. Does well on crash tests. The EyeSight system adds to that, so it's a little safer car because of it. And it has a spare tire. A space saver spare, but a spare tire nonetheless. So that's kind of nice to see. Speaking of things, um, and this car, you know, has the warning to let you know if you're about ready to run into someone. But the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration is wants to put auto braking on a fast track, according to some news that says an industry-wide agreement to make automatic emergency braking standard will bring the technology to the nation's new vehicle fleet at least two years faster than a government mandate would. National Highway Traffic Safety Administration says the agreement brokered by NHTSA and the Insurance Institute of Highway Safety was announced just the other day and commits to equipping nearly all new light-duty vehicles with automatic braking and forward collision warning by 2022. According to uh, the highway study, automatic braking can cut rear-end collisions by as much as 40%, but fewer than 10% of new cars offer automatic braking. Uh, A NHTSA spokesman said the agency reviewed previous technology-forcing rulemaking and found that it took eight years or more to take effect. The mandate for rear-view cameras was proposed in 2010 and still doesn't take effect until 2018. The accelerated timeline makes the deal a milestone in uh, NHTSA Administrator Mark Rosekind's tenure at the agency during which he has prioritized, why can't I say it, speed in cementing uh, safety improvements across the industry. He's a pretty forceful guy, and when I chatted with him a little bit, he was kind of an interesting guy to talk to. Our phone number is 617-770-3030, 617-770-3030. Let's talk to Paul. Hi. Hey, Good Paul. morning, John. How are Good you? Good morning. How are you? Good, fine. Uh, I guess your guest probably doesn't like the Tesla, huh? <laughs> uh, well, you know, he. who knows? Maybe he drives one. I don't know. Oh, okay. Oh, I mean, although, I, I thought it kind of fascinating. He works on his own oil burner. Oh, oh, really? I did, I, I, yeah, he said, you know, I, now that I switched to natural gas, I don't find myself on Saturday mornings, uh, you know, keeping my oil burner working. So, Did, did he say he had a, a, a well, a fracking well next to his house? Yeah, he said half a, half a mile down the road. Where does he live? I want uh, to avoid w- it. West Virginia. Oh, uh, I don't know. All I know about fracking is that uh, places like Oklahoma that never had earthquakes are now having them because they're doing a lot of fracking out there. But anyway... Um, I don't want to get political. I'm going I'm I'm to I'm put an oil well in my backyard. Hey, yeah. good. you know, yeah. Beverly Hillbillies. <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. But uh, again, again, Kelly doesn't have any idea who the Beverly Hillbillies are. But that's yeah. you know, um, someday, you someday, know? yeah, someday. Yeah, you know, it, there was even there was uh, there, there, there was even a, TV. It, it even came back as a as a horrible movie once too. Well, the show yeah. wasn't all that great. <laughs> 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 um, I, I was listening to you uh, talk about the, your auto review. Is I have the globe in my hand, and I don't know whether you sat down with Beth Titel. No, I did really not. Quick. No, I did not. Uh, not. Why this... won't my car shut up and drive? Yeah, 
Yeah, my wife my wife was reading that and laughing at the same time. So <laughs> yeah, it is. It's really. I mean, I think that's you were talking about. You just want to turn the volume up and down in your uh, in your car, and you end up, you know, she said, <laughs> ending up off the road because uh, you hit the wrong button. And well, I'm, you know that. You know, that, uh, you know, all seriousness, that, that can... Yeah, it, uh, it really is. In happen. fact, uh, AAA did some studies with uh, some university. I want to say it's out in... I'll, I'll call it the University of Arizona, but I don't know if that's right. But what they found was when you tell your car to do something, even if you use voice command system, there is about a 10 to 15 second delay in your mind as you're waiting for it to do whatever it's supposed to do. So when you say, you know tune radio to AM 950, for about 15 seconds, you actually kind of go, you're, you kind of go brain dead for a little bit while you're waiting for the car to do what you tell it to do. Hmm. And uh, same thing if you say dial home or something like that, you're actually out of the picture of driving for, you know, anywhere from a few seconds up to 15 because of that. So, um, and then when it doesn't do what you want it to do, you know, when you when you say, you know, tune radio to, you know, satellite radio, and it says, you know, t- setting heat on 72 degrees, then you get, not, now you're getting in a fight with your car. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, I just have voice uh, on Bluetooth, and yep. they do it all the time, and I say, oh, call so-and-so. Right. And they, you know, they, I guess they don't understand the Boston accent. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, and it's funny, years and years ago, I wrote a story about, um, about, voice command systems and i said in my opinion they're only about 50 percent there and i got a call from a company in um they were they were they're actually in burlington and they're actually the backbone for most of the voice systems uh and in fact they're the company if you've ever heard the commercials for that dragon naturally speaking software you were talking to it well it's the same company that does all of the voice systems for uh, many of the cars and they said to me well why don't you come up and see our see what we can do we'll see what we're capable of and what i learned was it's a little like talking to a parrot as long as you ask them as long as you ask a parrot the questions it knows the answer to it's fine but if you try to ask it something that it doesn't have the words for and they're adding more words but if you say uh you know it's not like uh you know an uh, apple iphone where you say you know siri what time is it you ask your car what time it is if it's not programmed to tell you time it's gonna it's gonna try to do something that sounds like time mm-hmm. yeah so the uh the funny funny part about this is that the uh, voice recognition system was now talking in her column to the refrigerator and to a few other that's yeah. an old, that's an old Woody, old yeah. Woody Allen routine yeah. where all the appliances got together uh, to talk about the owner. But anyway, it, it, uh, I hope that they they do bring back knobs. I mean, I have enough in my car, which is fine, but I know a lot of people who don't, and it's really beyond annoying. It, it can be very dangerous. Yeah, it really it really is. Every time I drive a Jaguar or a Land Rover, and Land Rovers are not my favorite vehicle. I mean, they, they're very capable, they're very expensive, they're very luxurious. But, uh, you know, the Jaguar F-Type, for instance, which is a beautiful sports car, fun car to drive, the navigation system does, you know, navigation infotainment screen, you have to do a lot of things on that to, you know, as simple as, you know, changing radio state and to actually take your eyes off the road to have to make three commands to switch from, you know, AM to FM or to do something. It's just, to me, it's too, it's, it's too easy to get distracted and not pay attention. So I want, I, yeah, I, 
you know, for a while there, I I was I remember a few years ago driving an Acura, and it was a great car. It was maybe it was a TL, and I counted, and there was um, there was twenty three buttons and knobs. Jeez. So I was like, well. I don't want that back either. I don't want 23 buttons and knobs, but I'd like a couple. And I remember not that many years ago, I was at Bose, and Bose was developing a new head unit for a radio system, and it had a volume knob and a tuning knob. And then when you brought your hand close to the front of it, it had a proximity indicator, and it would bring up sort of digital sub-settings. But for something as simple as you know, volume and tuning, it had two knobs. And that was their thought behind it. I remember talking to one of, one of the engineers, and he said, we're trying to develop this, and we'd like to talk to regular people about the vehicle, and we don't want to turn into what BMW did when they first came out with iDrive, and everything was a knob, and it looked really, they're like, well, this will be just like your computer. You'll have a mouse, and, you know, how often do you really use your keyboard? You use your mouse for everything, and we want this knob to be the mouse, and once you get it, you'll understand it, and, you know, trying to argue with the German engineer never works. So um, so they're, they're, like, they're like, well, and I'm like, you know, I kind of want to drive down the road at 70 miles an hour and reach over to a knob to turn the radio up and down. I don't want to have to have this you know, vague controller between the seats that I sort of have to look over at. And he said, well, we've designed it so there's only two minutes or two seconds of distraction for most major things. And I said, well, that's that's 180 feet at 60 miles an hour. That's a long distance to be distracted. Yeah, well, yeah and then he, yeah. Me, then he told me I was wrong. So, well, yeah. today, today, Germany, yeah. tomorrow, the world. Yeah. You, 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 you wrote, I read your column, and you, read, you wrote, uh, someone wrote, you about uh, uh, a, br- a brake problem, and uh, I, I think I still have. I had mine replaced mm-hmm. uh, back this fall, and I keep noticing I got to take it back. Uh, are the manufacturers of these brake pads and calipers having problems? Because uh, I'm getting that same kind of squishy feeling, um, particularly when the car is not wet when the, when the roads are dry um, on mine, and I just haven't had time to take it back. Mm. Uh, but I'm wondering whether the manufacturers are um, uh, I, I having a, a problem somewhere along the line that uh, there are high spots or something as I think you you yeah. mentioned. Yeah, it could be a it could be a hard spot in the pad, but probably you know the other thing we're seeing an awful lot of problems with these days is brake calipers that are that are sticking. So the brake caliper sits either on slide pins or uh, it could be a, a physical mount that mounts the brake caliper, and they stick over time. And a lot of it has to do with we haven't seen it as much this year because we haven't put as much salt on the roads this year. But after last year, with all the salt, and last year they were pre-treating a lot of roads, so they're putting down this brine, this salty brine on the roads, which was great because the roads didn't freeze, but it was really bad on on steel parts. So brake calipers were sticking because they would just start to get rusty. And once the caliper can't flex back and forth when you step on the brake, then the piston has to come out a little bit further. And then you get this sort of squishy brake pedal. And it might feel squishy for the first couple days. It might, for the first brake application, until the caliper kind of 
moves in place. And I know I was talking to a good repair shop one day, and he said, you, we're doing an awful lot of, and this was something they did years ago on some Ford products. He said, we're doing an awful lot of people coming in, and we just pull the brake calipers off, we clean up the slides, and we put them back in, and we do it as part of a regular service once a year now because we're having problems with people saying their brake pedal just doesn't feel good anymore. One thing I noticed when they replaced, the, I guess they replaced the, the whole disc, the original one never looked rusty. Uh, about a day or two after they put these in, they, you could see uh, a coat of rust on them. Is, mm. is, is there a reason for, for that uh, on the replacements versus uh, no, original? No, yeah, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, I... I th- you know, I always kind of wonder that. I mean, iron, you know, brake rotors that have a higher content of iron in them tend to rust first. Mm-hmm. Um, I noticed when I replaced the brake rotors on my own car, the second set of brake rotors I bought seemed like they stayed more rust-free for a longer period of time. But I can, you know, of the new cars that I drive sometimes, you know, I'll, you know, I'll, the car, if the car might sit for a day, and then I'll go to get in, and I'll look at the brake rotors, and they're all brown, um, all rusty. And, uh, you know, driving it a couple days, you know, driving it for a couple miles, the rust comes right off of it. And other cars, the brake rotors don't tend to rust. So I think it depends on a little bit on manufacturer, but it uh, depends on the amount of iron content, depends on the amount of, you know, other, you know, could be even recycled steel that goes into them. Well, thank you. I guess there's basically nothing wrong with it. It's just just the way it is yeah i think so i think you know i'd like i'd like to think that you know there's some way to get them better i just don't know what it is yet and uh just don't go out there and you know don't go spray your brake rotors with wd-40 uh oh okay yeah i I didn't plan to but yeah well it's it's funny every once in a while i'll get a call from somebody that that's putting a car up for the winter and they'll they'll say well i don't want the brake rotors to get rusty can i spray them all with uh WD-40 or something like that to keep the rotors from rusting, and no is the answer. I suppose I suppose if you disassembled everything and cleaned it all before you took it out on the road, that'd be fine, but it wouldn't be, it, to me, it's not a good idea. Wouldn't it prevent the brakes from working? Oh, yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah, you, and it would you, contaminate the brake linings, and yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not a good thing. Okay, you can yeah. use it on, on your hands if you have arthritis, though, don't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. I'll take enough time. Thank you very much. All right. Much. Thanks, Paul. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Why don't we take a break, pay some bills. My name's John Paul. This is the Car Doctor Program. You're listening on AM 950 WROL, the Spirit of Boston. We will be back in just a minute. If you would like to call, we have a couple lines open at 617-770-3030. We'll be right back. Well, I left Kentucky back in 49 and went to Detroit working on assembly line. The first year they had me putting wheels on Cadillacs. Every day I'd watch them beauties roll by and sometimes I'd hang my head and cry Cause I always wanted me one that was long and black One day I devised myself a plan that should be the envy of most any man I'd sneak it out of there in a lunchbox in my hand Now getting caught Are you being denied credit? Are you paying high interest rates? At CreditRepair.com, we know life happens. Divorce, medical bills, student loans, and many other reasons why credit scores fall. That's why at CreditRepair.com, we're committed to helping folks get the second chance they deserve to improve their credit. CreditRepair.com is actually acting as an advocate for me. Things that I thought when you paid them off, they were still on there. Things that I didn't even know were on there were on there, but they got them removed. I feel they're doing what they said they'd do and beyond. 
I'm not going to abuse this second chance that they gave me. I'm in the process now of bonding home. CreditRepair.com actually does work. We can help you get a second chance at great credit. The consultation is free and includes a free credit score and summary credit report. We'll review your current credit situation right on the phone with a game plan to restore it. Call 800-231-1735. That's 800-231-1735. Again, 800-231-1735. 800-231-1735. Have you ever wondered what it would have been like to travel the dynamic missionary journeys of the Apostle Paul? To see for yourself the sites of the early Christian church. This is Alistair Begg inviting you to join me this fall on the footsteps of the Apostles' Mediterranean cruise. Together we'll encounter the sites of the early church like never before with wonderful stops in Rome, Naples, Jerusalem, Athens and more. And we'll experience the magnificent Sistine Chapel, the historic Western Wall in Jerusalem, the beautiful Greek island of Santorini and much more. So join me as we examine the spiritual, social and cultural settings of the early church and all the while sailing in luxurious accommodations over the pristine waters of the Mediterranean. Log on to our website at wezeradio.com or at wrolradio.com and click on the Footsteps of Apostles Cruise Banner. At Sullivan Tire and Auto Service, we've come down with a terrific case of spring fever and just can't wait to spread it around. Announcing the Sullivan Tire March Tire Madness Sale, going on all month long. If you're ready for baseball, college basketball action, or a chance to get outside for a touch of spring, then you're ready for the biggest tire sale of the season. Sullivan Tire and Auto Service is offering instant savings on select tire brands and new lower pricing on our extensive line of quality Michelin tires. Get ready for spring road trips with the Michelin Premier LTX. Remember to stop in for our thorough factory-scheduled maintenance check. Our ASC-certified technicians will check out your battery and charging system, radiator and antifreeze, inspect your tires and air pressure, brakes, all system fluids, steering and suspension, belts, hoses, exhaust system, exterior lights, wiper blades, and more. Don't miss the March Tire Madness Sale. Going on now at all Sullivan Tire and Auto Service locations. See SullivanTire.com. Peace of mind driving. You deserve it. We provide it. I'm Kevin Chapman. You know, I make my living in Hollywood, but I choose to keep my money with the City of Boston Credit Union. As a member for over two decades, I put my family's trust in the City of Boston Credit Union with four full-service branches, including their latest in Canton. Check out the City of Boston Credit Union at cityofbostoncu.com and see how you, too, can become a member today. City of Boston Credit Union. Uniquely Boston. Federally insured by NCUA. Brothers is hiring for the 2016 season. There are immediate openings for experienced gas foremen, backhoe operators, and an array of other positions. Feeney Brothers has been providing utility contractor services since 1988, and their dedication to safety and training is unmatched in the industry. At Feeney Brothers, it is not just a job, it is a career. Come join a team where you will feel like family. Go to FeeneyBrothers.com to search all current openings and fill out an application. And don't miss the first backhoe rodeo and operator open house on April 10th from 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. You're listening to The Car Doctor. And welcome back.
Welcome back to the Car Doctor program on AM 950 WROL, The Spirit of Boston. Or you may be listening on Sunday nights on AM 1260 WBIX. Sunday nights at 9 o'clock, you can hear a, how does Marita put it, a bonus program. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's Sunday nights at 9. You can give it a listen. And uh, we were talking about brake pads earlier in California. They're actually phasing in copper-free brake pads. I didn't even know brake pads had copper in them. With this new law, the amount of copper-lead, hexovalent chromium, mercury, and some form of asbestos fibers and brake pads sold in California will be restricted to zero in the next 10 years or so. The new Department of Toxic Sub- Substance Control System said uh, they want to uh, introduce copper-free brake pads. I thought copper was good for you. I thought it prevented arthritis and stuff or made symptoms go away or people to sell fake copper bracelets do that. I don't know. Uh, let's talk to Tom. Tom, is that you? It is me. Hey. How are you? Good. How are you? Doing good. Got to tell you a little experience I had this past week. I got a little irritated by a dealership. Okay. Many years ago, I used to bring my vehicle to the dealership to get the oil change. And, you know, you get those specials. They'll do the oil change, top off your fluids. Um, uh, what else do they do with that? And uh, a lube job. Yeah, yeah. Some, yeah, 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 yeah. Something like that. Yeah. So I get a coupon in the mail for a local Ford dealer in Hanover. Yep. And it was uh, $29.99 after the $10 rebate. Okay. And they do the oil change for you. They top off the fluids and, you know, check your fluids mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And I says, what's the definition of topping off the fluids? And he says, we check your windshield washer wiper fluid. I says, what about, like, the antifreeze, you know, for the radiator, brake fluid, and uh, power steering fluid, you know, these additional mm. fluids that we have. He says, oh, no, we wouldn't do those. I says, why not? I says, he says, tops off all fluids. What mm. part of all? Mm. You know, that's, he says, why would we have to do the transmission? I says, unless there's a leak, then we have to fix the leak. Mm. And this is, you know, when he called up to service, and he mm. asked the person who answered the phone for service. And it's like, this is one of the reasons why I don't go back to a dealership. Mm. You know, I thought it was going to be nice to go back to a dealership and go there and have a cup of coffee versus dropping my car off to the local guy. Mm. You know, and it's like, just do it. You know, just check the fluids. And then if there's a leak, inform the customer right. that there's a leak. You know, instead of just telling me, no, no, we're just going to do the windshield washer fluid. We're going to top that off, and that's it. Because sometimes I'm checking my own fluids, and you see, your, you know, power steering fluid might be down just a wee bit. Or yeah, your, yeah. You know, uh, your coolant, you see where the fill mark is, and it's a little lower. So you figure when you get your oil changed, they'll top it off. That's what they mean by top-off fluids. Mm. So it's kind of strange. It's like it really turned me off because I said, well, they have a coupon here for front-end alignment. I said, after the winter, after going through some potholes, which wasn't too bad this year. I said, I can get alignment and let them do the oil change at yeah. the same time. Here, here, I just pulled up, and this comes from, uh, what's it say here? Ford recommended schedule maintenance. In order to keep your vehicle running right, it's important that you have the systems in your vehicle check regularly. This can help, this can help identify any potential issues before there are any major problems. Ford Motor Company suggests the following multi-point inspection be performed at every scheduled maintenance interval as one way to ensure your vehicle is running, keeps running great. Check and top off fluids. Mm-hmm. Brake. 
coolant recovery reservoir, manual and automatic transmission if equipped with a dipstick, right. power steering and window washer, inspect yep. tires for wear and check air pressure, check exhaust system for leaks, damage, loose parts, check battery performance, check operation of horn, exterior lights, turn signals, hazards, check radiator, coolers, heater, air conditioning, hoses, inspect windshield washer spray, check windshield for cracks, chips and pitting, inspect oil and fluid leaks, inspect oil uh, uh, air filter, uh, uh, half-shaft dust boots, check shocks and struts, inspect steering linkage, inspect accessory drive belts, inspect clutch operation if equipped. And that's the that's the little Ford note that they, you know, send to you or, that the dealer should be doing automatically. So I don't know what's up with that dealership, why they would just do that. I know I was talking to the service manager, service director, I should use his right title. Yeah, that's right. Um, you got a different yeah, title now. Yeah. yeah, service director at Copeland Toyota. And they're, they're also now the new owners of the Chevy dealership in Brockton. And he's a member of the Bristol Plymouth Advisory Board. And we were talking about another dealership where they got sort of the, he got customers coming to him because they got essentially the same sort of service you did. And he's like, you know, how hard is it just to be good to your customers? Yeah. And he said, and he said, you know, people appreciate that. And he said, you know, I hear about somebody who, you know, doesn't get treated well or, you know, it takes 15 minutes to talk to somebody. He said, well, why, you know, there's all kinds of places to get your car service. He said, we want to try to be a little bit better than the other guys. Yeah, it yeah. didn't make sense to me the why he was going to argue with yeah. me over the phone yeah. when you're trying to get new customers by sending out these little coupons. Yeah, no, it, it it absolutely makes a lot of sense, and and our our Volkswagen went in for its uh, yearly service about a month a month early. This uh, its first service that's been done to it, and uh, Volkswagen covers the the first service for free, which is basically an oil change and tire rotation. Right. But uh, but the uh, the dealer the dealer you know did what they were supposed to do, and they also suggested if we wanted to to buy a service contract to cover the next two maintenance services, which to me still look like an oil change and a tire rotation. So we opted not to do that, but the service experience was pretty good. In fact, the salesperson recognized my wife when she brought the car in, and they said, hey, we're having a big event on April 2nd. Can John come and broadcast here? So we'll leave that up to the salespeople, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah, but mm-hmm. the overall experience I think was pretty good. Oh, yeah. yeah, so um oh, but yeah, good. I don't I don't know why sometimes people try to make it difficult. I know. Yeah. A friend of mine uh wanted to buy a Toyota truck. And he got a hold of a place uh dealership over in Wellesley. Yeah. And he lives in Rockland. He says, "Hey, can we meet at South Shore Plaza?" Yeah. And so the salesperson over at the dealership in Wellesley bought the Toyota truck over and they get into the vehicle. And he says, well, how does this radio work? Because it's a newer truck now. And it took the salesperson over 12 minutes to figure out how to use the radio. Wow. 12 minutes sitting there with a person in the car. He goes, the guy didn't even know how to use the truck. The the thing's there. It's like, you're kidding me, you know? Yeah, no, I, I, I will admit uh, the Subaru that I'm driving, I had to change it, you know, I had to change it, move the clock ahead. And it took me a few minutes to figure it out because it's off a satellite. It uses a satellite navigation system to set the clock. So I had to, uh, it took a few minutes for it to kick in. So you expect it to happen automatically. It didn't happen. But, yeah, but yeah it, shouldn't, it shouldn't be that, it shouldn't be that hard. You know, Tom, it's all about good customer service sometimes. And sometimes I just don't get it. I want to give you a piece of advice. You talk about putting... Uh 
an oil well in your backyard. Yep. If you go a little deeper, maybe you can get synthetic oil. Yeah, that's an idea. <laughs> hey, listen, have a great weekend. Get ready for the big snowstorm. Yeah, I know. I know. I'm going to have to go polish my shovel. There you go. All right. Thanks, have a Tom. Good one. Bye-bye. Yeah, bye-bye. Uh, let's see. We lost somebody, but we gained somebody. Let's talk to Bobby. Bobby. Uh, John Paul, how are you? Good. How are you? Good, good. You had helped me before on my Mustang, and uh, that helped out a lot. Okay. Hey, I got a quick question. Uh, a friend of mine gave me a uh, 05 Ranger. It's got uh, about 290 on it. I'm just going to really use it for a yard truck. I don't want to put any money in it, but uh, I got a leaky radiator. I tried some of that bar. Yeah, uh, bars leak, yep. It really didn't do anything. Should I try another one? or? Um, what's going to, I mean, you can add as much as you want, but what's going to happen is the more you add, the more likely you're going to clog up other things. So, you, yeah, you know, like you probably don't care about the heater, but you don't want to, add too much to it um the one that i've had better luck with is the um the stuff that looks like a ground up silver or gold powder in a tube okay yeah that one seems to work pretty well the other thing you could do if you're really trying to put off you know the other thing go to a junkyard and get a radiator for you know, exactly. Short, I got one. Money. I'm looking at one yeah. for fifty bucks. Yeah, so. that might yeah. make that might make the most sense. But you could try another can of stuff. And the other thing is, uh, either run the radiator cap half off, so you know, off to the first click. Okay. Or the other thing, go find a low pressure radiator cap, one that's only seven pounds instead of fifteen. So oh, it's not going right. to build. It's not going to build up as much pressure in the radiator, and that's oh, nice. going. You know that that will you know save you a little bit. Short okay. of that, a new radiator is about it. Yeah, yeah. I didn't want to mess anything up any worse than it is. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, in the you know, as a short term solution, you know, fill it up with uh, you know antifreeze and water, and and you know, don't put the radiator cap on tight. Just put it on okay. so it's just to the first click. That way, it's not going to build up the pressure in the radiator, and that might that might hold it together for a little bit. Okay. Um, but yeah, you know, fifty dollars for a radiator. 50 I know. Bucks. Yeah, I know you said it's just going to be a yard truck, but still. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Hey, thanks for your okay. help, Okay, take care. Great job. All right, thanks, Bobby. Take Thank care. You, Bye-bye. Bye. Our phone number is 617-770-3030. If you want to call in and chit-chat with us, we'll be happy to. Um, headed to New York this week to the New York Auto Show to see what, see what all the manufacturers are going to be trying to show off. Uh, there's a new Acura MDX that's going to be uh, previewing at the auto show. Subaru's got the new Impreza that they're going to be showing at the auto show. Uh, there's a uh, New York's a big auto show. Um, of the top auto shows in the country, Detroit, L.A., New York, uh, New York has the most amount of people that go to it, foot traffic that goes through it. Detroit probably has the most amount of media people that go to it. And it's hard to describe what media people are because it could be somebody with a website. Detroit's a little bit harder to get into. In fact, a few years ago, and I made a big deal out of it to anybody who asked, I I tried to get media credentials to go to the Detroit Auto Show, and they only gave me credentials for the second day, which is sort of the, eh, not as the exciting day. So I whined to everyone I could possibly whine to that... I didn't get media credentials, and I walked around and saw all these people that I knew that really didn't seem like they were doing a whole lot. And I'm like, well, how did they get away with 
Now, they get two days worth of media credentials, but I thought it was sort of I thought it was sort of funny nevertheless. So uh, so I, I, you know, and people from the car company said, oh, I didn't see you here yesterday. I said, I couldn't get in. They're like, what do you mean you couldn't get in? I said, I don't know. They wouldn't let me in. They didn't like me. So I don't know why. Let's take a couple more calls before we talk to our buddy, Sully, who's sitting in the studio with his Patriots football shirt on. Got nothing green on, though. I don't know about that. Well, we'll figure it out. But anyway, let's talk to Phil on line one. Phil, is that you? Phil? Phil, yes, sir. uh, I went to the dealer a few years ago where he bought the car. And I had the coupon. I needed the service anyway, yep. regular oil change. Mm-hmm. When the coupon said tire rotation along with the oil change service, I said, hey, that's a pretty good deal. Yeah. So anyways, I get the car back, and I, I had marked the tire. Mm-hmm. So I said, so I said, son of a gun, they didn't rotate these tires. Mm-hmm. So I called up the service manager, and the, the response was, it, we only do it if it needs it. <laughs> so that's the whole point of rotating. Yeah, you you want so you, you want to do them before they need it. Yeah. So I mean that that I learned my lesson a few years ago on all that BS that they give you. Yeah, there is a there's a certain amount of that. I agree with you. There's oh, a yeah. certain amount of that that they, uh, um, you know, if, and you know part of part of the problem is is the uh, the way we pay mechanics and technicians today is. In most cases, it's flat rate. So they get paid, a good technician might get paid $25 an hour for every flat rate hour they put in. So for doing a, you know, replacing an alternator in a car, it might be 2.3 hours. So they get paid, you know, 50, you know, $25 an hour. They get paid 50 some odd dollars to replace that alternator. Well, on an oil change service, they might only get paid three-tenths of an hour and the extras, the oh by the ways, the rotate the tires and check all the fluids. Well, they they still get paid the same amount. So because they're pushing them so hard to try to get the most amount of hours, some of the stuff doesn't get done. And to me, a better way would be to okay, be able to just pay the technicians to do the job and let them do the job that they're getting paid to do, rather than try to cheat. Right. Yeah. I go to a local shop for my car. Yep. And they got a good flat rate. I will. Yep. I'm at a shop rate, yep. shop rate, and they do the I job properly. Right. Yeah, that's that's what you're looking for. Who's the shop? Well, it's, a, it's called Peabody Auto Clinic. They specialize in Volvos and Saabs. Oh, yeah. They do, they do a bunch of other cars, too. Yeah, no, it sounds like a good place. I've been taking my Volvo over there for about 10, 12 years, and they do a great job. Sounds like a good place. Sounds yeah. like the right idea. You bet. All right, take care. Thank you. Yep, Thank you. bye-bye now. Let's try to catch uh, Jack on line two. Jack, is that you? Yes, I'm here. Yes, sir. Uh, I have a question on uh, tire inflation. Uh, uh-huh. When you buy a car new, it gives you the, the auto, comes with the information of what your inflation should be, front front wheels, yep. rear wheels. Mm-hmm. And over time, uh, you kind of disregard that. I mean, as you go in for these uh, uh, oil changes, yep. Yep. Uh, they usually inflate it to uh, 32 pounds or 30 pounds or whatever you ask yep. them to inflate yep. it to. Uh, I'm just wondering, uh, what is the ideal, and if you just settle in at a number like 30 or 32, um, are you getting a harder ride? Are you saving gas? Uh, what What's really the best thing to do, I guess, in terms of um, 
I guess mileage may be a little more important than comfort. Yeah, the best thing to do is stick with whatever the car manufacturer tells you. They design, here, here's how, you know, in a weird sort of way, when you adjust air pressure, you become an engineer. So if you inflate, if you inflate the tires to the maximum, which might be 35 or 36, you've all of a sudden become an engineer and you've decided that I'm going to engineer better mileage than ride. If I decide I want to put 28 pounds of air in the tires, I'm going to engineer a better ride than, than, than mileage. If I'm going to compromise and put 32, I'm going to compromise and see the way it is. The manufacturer adjusts the air pressure to get that best of both worlds. Can you get away with putting 32 in everything and not worry about it? Sure you can, but you've made some little changes. Uh, people that are on the road a lot that want maximum fuel economy don't care about ride. They run their air pressure all the way up. And generally, in a lot of cases, higher air pressure will also maybe result in a little bit better tire wear. But I, you know, really try to stay with the idea of the manufacturer came up with an air pressure and that's what I'm going to stay with. Yes. So my car, it's supposed to be 34 in the front and 31 in the back. I put 34 in the front and 31 in the back. Okay. Then uh, checking air pressure. Uh, do you have any kind of recommendation for, um, you know, a gadget? Oh, a t tire pressure gauge? Yeah. I, I find just a good basic pencil gauge that you're going to spend 4 or $5 for works fine. In fact, in a lot of cases, the regular, you know, old-fashioned tire gauge is as accurate as some of these digital gauges. The digital gauges, if you look at the plus and minus numbers, they're sometimes plus and minus within 5%, and where the mechanical gauge is a little bit more accurate. And then if you get the round dial gauge, with the, you can get the ones that are liquid-filled. You can get crazy, but unless you're running a, a Formula One car or something, a regular $5 pencil gauge is usually all you need. And just, and just check the tire pressure before you really have driven the car any long distance. So first thing in the morning, you know, if you're driving down to the gas station to get air, you just don't want to check a, check the tire pressure after an hour's worth of driving. That's okay. all. Okay. Well, thank you very much. All right. Take care. Bye-bye now. Well, there's Paul Sullivan sitting over there in the, well, corner-ish on, it looks like on the kid's stool. I was going to say they fixed my mic, but they didn't, did they? No, they didn't. You have no microphone. around from the other side. Yeah, exactly, yeah. I just yeah. noticed that like 30 yeah. seconds ago. Well, we're getting closer because we took the cable out now. So yeah. there was a cable. There was, there was a broken microphone with a cable. Then there, was, uh, then there was a cable with no microphone, and now there's no cable or microphone. It's just to fool me because if it, I saw the cable there, I would have known they hadn't done it. So. Yeah, yeah, so you're right. So Right. Yeah, it's it's getting there though. I, you know, they, you know, we had a busy, we had a busy yes, day on St. Patrick's. Did. Day. We sure did. Did you listen at all? Were you able to tune in at all on St. Patrick's Day? It, it well, uh, you were. At it work? breaks my heart that uh, the other job gets in the way sometimes, <laughs> and um, so no, I didn't. I was I was writing on that day, and I was sitting at my computer, and I was streaming WROL, mm -hmm. and I was listening to Patty and Marita. They were all over the place. I was listening to Seamus. He was all over the place, and Johnny Costello was all over the place, and and Bill. Bailey was back here, at, you know, on the board trying to keep things all together, and they, they had they had a lot of stuff going on. And I was disciplining five year old. Yeah, you know, yeah, and a lot of fun. Yeah, and it, wow, and it was uh, they sounded they they sounded like they were having a lot of fun, mm -hmm. and I suspect there was a Guinness drink here or there. Yeah, maybe. But yeah. you know, the, the weekend when it, when St. Patrick's Day falls on Thursday, it's kind of cool because the parade in Boston, which is like the yeah. pivotal event around here is the following Sunday right. rather than the previous right. Sunday. 
So we're still smack in the middle yeah. of, of a lot of things. Yeah, exa- exactly. And, and, uh, from- and speaking of that, Johnny and Seamus will be at the, uh, I think, both at the breakfast and the parade. And from what I understand, the parade is the full length. No abbreviated parade like they were hinting there was going to be. Yes. Yeah. And no snow like they said there were going to be. Have you heard the latest forecast? There's not going to be a drop of snow. Really? None. On the parade or Monday? Anything. Really? Mm. So, so what happened? What happened to what happened to like six eight inches this yeah, morning yeah, that yeah, I heard? There you go. Take a look. <laughs> so right it's going to look there. like this, huh? Yep. Good. That's the latest I heard. Now I'm yeah. not. I did not go to meteorological school, but I did listen to a couple of broadcasts on the way in. Oh, yep. as I was listening to yours, hitting the knobs and buttons yeah, on knobs my, and buttons. Uh, yes, my I, Jeep. I fully yeah. understand. I fully understand. Well, what do you have? I wasn't going seventy miles an hour. Though. Yeah, I don't, I'm too old to do that now. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you have coming up for this uh, still part of St. Patrick's Day weekend? Well, this is my time to get involved with the music and all the fun. I didn't get a chance on Thursday, poor me, poor me, but now I do. Now you do, so you have, you have a, a full complement of uh, the best of Irish music? Uh, I've been slated? doing it for a couple of days, so I know what I'm doing. So stand back. Speaking of which, isn't this our, almost our anniversary for... Uh, how many years has uh, WROL and the Irish Hit Parade been on the air? Well, the, the Hit Parade itself, uh, the show, back when it started, it wasn't called the Hit Parade. Yeah. But the Irish show on Saturday started in 1967, the same year that Kevin White was elected mayor and the Red Sox had their impossible dream. And the Black Velvet Band soared up the Irish music charts. So uh, I wrote that in have, a commercial one. Yeah. <laughs> so we have, we have our 50th anniversary coming up soon, though. We do. Next year, yeah. Yeah, so are, are we technically in our 50th year now? Yes, yeah, just like a baby yeah. who isn't born yeah. yet is almost I get, one. I get you. I get you. Yeah. That's what I thought. So Something like that. Something like that. There's yeah. a gestation period. I, yes. Who knows? <laughs> I, I, was, I was just trying to make it a, fifth, a reason to have a Guinness for the 50th anniversary. Go for it. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. I, I'm I, right I, behind you. I need to get out of here. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, uh, poaching on some of the best Irish music coming up anywhere. Wait a minute. It's, it's 10.03. I know. <laughs> Sorry What's wrong that? with you? I... I can't help it. sense of timing that you have acquired as over you, the years as you, radio. As you point yeah, could I ever hit the post with the song? <laughs> Probably not. But as you point out, this is the best part of my program. That's what right Joanne here. says. By the yeah. way, she should have a microphone. You should hear some of the comments that she makes on your own. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Her microphone should be live. I know. Yeah, yeah it shouldn't happen. So hey, we, we got to go. That third mic in yeah. here. Let's go. Yeah, we got to go. We got to go. The best in Irish music coming up. Happy St. Patrick's Day to one and all. Until next week, make sure you wear your seatbelt. Drive safely. Be good to your car. Talk to you all next week. Bye bye. Hit Parade, Saturdays, 10 a.m. to 7 p.m. The service of Salem Media Group. Bus goes to the auto show, $25 each way.